I don't even like the word acting anymore. I don't, because it implies lying in some way. I don't act. I feel and I imagine and I channel. Welcome to Unspooled Nick Cage. We're going to talk about Nick Cage today. Yes, we are experimenting with our episodes and we're going to focus on an actor that I think a lot of people are talking about right now because his brand new movie is coming out uh, that is a very meta film. I don't know if you've heard about this uh, new film. It's called The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent and it stars Nick Cage as... Nick Cage. Uh, the government recruits him to go pull off a secret mission to take down uh, some sort of a dictator or a drug runner who is obsessed with Nick Cage films. So he creates this version of himself who is the Nick Cage that we know and love, but also we see a different side of him. And uh, the trailers are great. People have been really high on this film. I'm excited to see it. But I guess you and I wanted to do this episode because... Nick Cage, unlike other actors, I think has this fascination about him. We are obsessed with Nick Cage. I mean, how many other actors have their faces on pillows? How many other actors do we make clip reels of just their most intense performances? You know, uh, we have terms, rage, cage. You know, we are obsessed with what he's wearing. He, When he's walking down the street with his child, he looks like he's stepping out of a set. You know, he is, to me, in many ways, this artist that is continually trying to challenge himself. Uh, I think that some people look at him as uh, just a source of fodder and as a joke. But one thing's uh, a constant that for over two decades, he has been at the forefront of pop culture uh, as a leading man, as an action hero, as a weirdo. Uh, and I say <laughs> that with a love. Meme, as a t-shirt. Yes. As it all. I mean, yeah, I would love to do another Cage movie because I don't think we've done anything besides Raising Arizona. And if you count his like tiny little popping up in Fast Times at Ridgemont High, which I do not. I no. do not count that. Um, I want to do a Cage movie. And I think we just need to figure out which one, because like his career is so eclectic and strange and diverse. It goes all over the place that I feel like you throw a dart at, a, at his filmography, you hit a different Cage. Yes. I mean, there's like, Lovelorn Hero Cage of Moonstruck, which I've been really wanting to do on this show. There's Action Hero Cage. Uh, uh, Con Air. No, we're not doing Con Air, but like, I love Face Off. I love The Rock. By the way, I would do any movie that we've done on How Did This Get Made. I know we've done a lot of Nick Cage movies uh, on this show, too, because I think there's a different conversation to be had. I mean, you know, <laughs> I mean, if there was ever an actor that you were going to do on both How Did This Get Made and Unspooled, I feel like it would be Nick Cage. Absolutely. I, I think that... You know, we could do a month of Nick Cage and feel like we're getting different performances. But what is that quintessential film? I think right now we're in a Nick Cage state of mind. We're going to talk to our friend uh, Keith Phipps, who wrote a great book about Nick Cage, uh, kind of dissecting his entire career. But I wanted to just to talk to you about your favorite Nick Cage performance. Like what? Like if I'm just, you know, you could change your answer tomorrow. But like right now, if I'm asking you right now. I put a, a metaphorical film reel to your head uh, uh, and I'm going to run this over your head. It's going to hurt like hell. Uh, what would you pick? 
Oh, my God is actually face off. I do love face off. Um, but that's, that's the fun part of me. Like part of me feels like I should be more solemn and do, you know, the one that he won an Oscar for do leaving Las Vegas, like go back and reevaluate that next to a weirdo cage. I think I've forgotten about serious cage. Maybe that'd be healthy for me. Yeah. You know, I mean, to me, I definitely feel like face off is the movie that I would want to be stranded on a desert Island with, you know, I could watch it over and over again. There's so much fun, uh, nuance in it. Then I would also say, that, you know, there are some really great, fun little moments. Like, I think back on him, I look at The Rock, and I go, that movie actually, you know, holds up in a different way than... I didn't like it as much when I... Well, I guess I went through different stages. I loved it, I didn't like it, and now I kind of like it again, right? Like, uh, it was, you know, I, I love the pairing of the two of them. By the way, you know the, the theory about The Rock, hmm. right? The James Bond theory? What's that? Many people believe that that is like a uh, a kind of a uh, a sequel to Sean Connery's James Bond. Like that Sean Connery is James Bond. He was put in prison. It, the timeline doesn't work out, but it's a there's a great internet theory that <laughs> James Bond was captured uh, under a different name and was put in this uh, in the Rock, and that is Sean Connery is playing an older version of James Bond. And I do like it for all the you can make if you don't look at the timeline of it, it, it can kind of work. That's the that's the that's the story of every internet theory. Um, <laughs> I mean, although I, I do want to say as we're figuring this out, like one of the things I love about Cage is his willingness, his glee in working with like auteurs, weirdos, mm -hmm. you know, with doing Wild at Heart with with David Lynch, which I just think of that dance scene with him and Laura Dern and how like hot blooded it is. Woof, yeah, woof, that is extreme. But also all the way up to doing, you know adaptation you know a film like written by charlie kaufman one of my absolute favorite screeners of all time directed by spike jones i mean i would say about cage he's not the person who does their first films but he's the person who does cool people's second films and then like elevates them same thing like he did with raising arizona i i look i'm i'm very excited that we're getting to see also this version of nick cage where we got to see his adam west and kick ass which is a great performance we're going to now see him play dracula in the upcoming renfield which i'm very very excited about uh i i also think that the one film that gets kind of overlooked and is a really fun performance two of them actually national treasure which is his take on indiana jones and i love that that uh the first one especially is really really fun but family man is an interesting movie uh it's like a it's a very I mean, you know, you always think you can kind of figure him out, but this is a movie where, you know, it's a great cast again. It's Nick Cage, Tia Leone, Don Cheadle, Piven. Uh, and it's a it's a very much like it's a wonderful life story uh, that I think is a movie that comes out at a time where people are not totally into seeing Nick Cage. I don't know why it doesn't take off, but it's a cute Christmas movie that I think you should uh, also look at. It's like a very feel good holiday movie. Ugh. Okay. Well, Paul, we've got some deciding to do. I want to bring Keith Phipps in here. His new book, Age of Cage, phenomenal. I'm glad a brain like Keith is behind it, really just tracing the arc, not just of, of Nicolas Cage, but of Hollywood during Nicolas Cage's career. Maybe he can help us put his career in context. I want to talk about him with the lows and the highs and figure out what we should be talking about. Keith, I am so excited to have you here to talk about the Age of Cage to get your insights I mean, I don't, I've never told you this to your face. I'll just tell you now. You are one of the first critics I read religiously 
that taught Aww. me that this was like an art form where you could have smart things to say about popular movies every week, every week. And I just, you're a personal hero of mine and your book, oh, The Age of Cage is wonderful. Amy, you're a hero of mine too. So it, it all evens out. Oh, <laughs> but thank you society. so much. <laughs> and Keith, you are a hero of mine because you and I agree on our Fargo theory that Amy took me to town on <laughs> that, I, you know, uh, I will bring it back up much to our listeners, probably dismay that I was suggesting that uh, when Marge goes to meet uh, her old high school friend, uh, she is like excited to get dolled up and isn't going there to cheat on her husband, but like wants to kind of see what the big city life is like down. I call that like down to flirt, but in a very like not in a, a way where she's like trying to hook up, but just in a way where she was just open to feeling good about herself, being in the big city, just wanting to have like that little bit of a, a, a fun moment. In a very Marge Gunderson way, in other words. Yes. Yeah, I think so. I mean, she pointedly does not tell her husband about yes. her, her lunch meeting. It was lunch, I believe. Uh, so there's, you know, there's, it's not insignificant, I don't think. I think I think we are on the same page here. I, I, I appreciated that because as people like jumped on me because Amy uh, misrepresented me on I Twitter did not and sent what you said you <laughs> I did sent not. the people after me it was <laughs> I said exactly what you said and you have clarified did you Twitter your swarm Paul she did she very much did and she and it was a poor misrepresentation like the fact that she's not uh, she's not uh, admitting it was a poor representation uh, it was bad you know Deflect it was bad you and deny I see your political campaign style uh, I mean well Keith I will say then after this conversation. My favorite type of hero is an anti-hero, and you have just become that to me. <laughs> well, Keith, I, I I was very lucky to get a chance to read your book uh, before the masses, and uh, you know, not only am I a fan of Nick Cage, I've gotten to work with Nick Cage. You got to see the movie, I imagine, uh, that I did with Nick Cage, which was a very interesting movie in the way that it was released versus how it was shot, at least uh, in my opinion. But. Um, you know, it's it's he's a really fascinating guy. And it was a, it was a highlight in my career to spend as much time as I got to spend with him uh, the the two or three weeks I was with him. Yeah, any insights into his his his, his process? Like, I was not really getting into that too much. You know, I didn't get into that too yeah. much in my book. But like everyone I've talked to who has worked with him, I mean, there's all these stories of him misbehaving early on in his career, like, you know, uh, like on the set of, of Cotton Club and things like that. But after a certain point, everyone's like total professional, arrives super prepared, great actor, knows exactly what he wants to do. Yeah. I mean, I would echo that. I think what I was very surprised by is truly his level of commitment and professionalism. He was in his chair when he was not shooting, going over the lines, looking at the work, really creating this character. And the character he did in the movie that I did with him, Army of One, is a a big character. It's a real-life person who decided uh, he was going to go find Osama bin Laden and uh, set sail uh, off the coast of San Diego to uh, to go find him, and that didn't work out pretty well. Uh, he was a guest on Letterman. It's a great interview with Letterman and this guy. Um, the guy's a real character. And and Nick was trying to portray this larger-than-life, uh, definitely peculiar man. And um, I think there's an idea of Nick Cage as like, oh, he's just shitting out these movies. He's just collecting a paycheck and going home. And I don't get that sense from him 
at all. Everything he's doing mm-hmm. is incredibly well thought out. It's passionate. And where I would make my my big statement on him is it's all about the director. The director needs to understand how to direct Nick. And I felt like the director that we had on Army of One, Larry Charles, really understood, like, with this character, I can only work within a certain amount of takes because I think Nick is constantly experimenting and growing and trying to do different things. Like, he's never going to give you the same take twice. And I think part of that is sometimes the takes become larger. Sometimes, the you know, he makes these far-out choices, and he's never kind of retreating backwards. It's always going out. It's like times two, times two, times two, times two, times two. And so... If you want him in a certain level, you have to kind of give him this moment. And and once you find that level that you want, kind of stick him there and then get out. Uh, that's mm-hmm. at least in my opinion of working with him. And then I thought like that was uh, really interesting to see. It was sort of like because he's not he's not going to just be a robot and give you the same take five times in a row. I think what you're saying before also about about him, not just, you know, carelessly going from movie to to movie, there's a lot more near misses and work with interesting directors like Larry Charles during that VOD decade. Yeah. Um, and like part of like when I was deciding, well, do I want to do this book or not? I just chose sort of a random VOD era film I hadn't seen called 211, which is not by any stretch of the imagination, a particularly good movie, but he's good in it. And he's doing, he's doing something interesting in just the way he holds his body and interacts with other characters. It's like, you know, he's definitely, he's not phoning it in. This is, this is definitely a real performance. That's really what startled me in part about your book is just the experience of going, oh my God, I forgot he even made that. Like mm-hmm. that when I think of Cage, there's probably 20 giant films that pop out at me. And then I forget about like the dozens and dozens and dozens of others. And what your book I think does really well is you not only organize them into different kind of epochs of Cage, you know, the the um, offbeat romantic hero Cage, the like serious dramatic I'm getting my Oscar Cage, the action Cage, the like I'm kind of lost and taking on prestige things and have no idea what I'm doing anymore in my life Cage, and then like the VOD Cage, and then whatever Cage we want to kind of call now, like cult hero Cage. I'm, tr- I'm mm. trying to think of the word. You do such a good job of organizing kind of that while showing all of the films inside of it that I forgot about that fit into each sort of category, while also kind of showing how his career dovetails with all of the changes of Hollywood at at the time. You know, you kind of like trace away where he is both in your book, a person who is a maverick and a person who's like subject to the whims of what gets greenlit in Hollywood. And I think you just do that so well. Like, I'd love to hear more about that, like figuring out his story. Well, thanks so much. I mean, a lot of it has... You know, some of it has roots in something that, that Noel Murray pointed out uh, for for a piece that I commissioned for one at one point, uh, which was you know his his strategy early on in Hollywood was was kind of just being the misfit. You know, I mean he's he's of the same era as the Brat Pack, but he doesn't really fit in with them. He's not really up for the same roles. I mean, part of it is like you know he was very young when he made Valley Girl his first starring feature, um, but he already kind of looks like a grown-up, you know? And and early on, he's he's paired again and again with with um, uh, actresses who are, who are older than he is. I mean, Kathleen Turner, Cher, uh, and it feels like a more more natural fit in some way. So, you know, I, I mean, if, if the strategy early on is to, is to be 
to take the take on the odd roles and, and play that part, then he's he did that very well. And like I think sometimes it's worked better for him than others. And and I, it's still like you know the action years are so odd that they happened at all. I think he's very good. I, I like those action movies by and large, some more than others. But it's still you know it was odd then that Nicolas Cage became a big action star, and like all these decades later, it's like it's still pretty weird, right? <laughs> well, you know what I think his action stars are not the typical action star. I mean, like, when you look at him in those roles, he, um, the swagger that he has and, you know, like the Con Air and the, and the face-off, they're incredibly different characters. They're, they are, mm-hmm. you know, they are in, it's almost like Nick Cage is in an action movie, right? That There's something about that where it's not like he steps into the action hero role as much as, he is Nicolas Cage, and all of a sudden someone gave him a gun. It's like, this is this character firing a gun. He doesn't feel like a guy who is like Rambo, I guess. You know, I mean, unless when he's fighting uh, animatronic uh, bears in that Chuck E. Cheese movie. Uh, but even then, he's, you know, just a janitor. Like, I feel like it's like he's very much the everyman, which I think is why we love Bruce Willis and Die Hard and things like that. Like, he's in that era still where he feels kind of normal. I mean, I think face off, he's. Definitely, it's so interesting because I think about it, it's like face off, he's playing Travolta. So it's mm-hmm. like he, for the most of the movie, which you forget, it be, but it's like, so he's also not really, you know, it's like, it's a very interesting portrayal there too. Yeah. And I think he establishes such a strong presence with his early scenes as Caster Troy. Uh, and Travolta does such a really good job of, of channeling that character for the rest of the, of the film that you, it is kind of easy to forget that he is not the bad guy in most of that movie. Right. Uh, but part of what I part of what I like about the performance so much is that he's so tortured and twisted. Like here's a good person forced to be a bad person who actually finds he kind of enjoys being a bad person, then kind of hates himself for enjoying being a bad person. I mean, in some ways, I think the subtext of The Rock to go back a couple of movies oh, is right, yeah. someone who doesn't belong in an action movie who's in an action movie. Like right. that character, you know, does not want to, you know, does not want to uh, shoot a gun, doesn't even swear in the early parts of the movie. And then by right. the end, he's just, you know, gun toting, you know, F-bomb dropping uh, action hero. But it's kind of a, it's kind of a, a, a neat evolution over the course of that film. Yeah. You describe him even in that chapter about The Rock as calling him like the kind of offbeat that gives the film its curious, alluring rhythm, which I thought was such a great way of describing him. And I hadn't thought about it until that chapter, but like, this is the moment when Michael Bay kind of turns to him and says, you know, you've made your bones as people thinking you're an actor. You know, you've done your Lynch movie and you've done Moonstruck and you've done Vampire's Kiss. You've done all your crazy things. But The Rock is this movie that turns him from actor into movie star, which I I, I guess I hadn't thought of that switch because to me, Nicolas Cage as a kid has just always been one of the biggest names in the world. So to think of him bumping up a level even at that time by doing action. Yeah, and I think that, you know, becoming a movie star becomes kind of uncomfortable for him after that. I I feel like after the action years, he makes a lot of really good movies, but there's also kind of a lot of fumbling around to figure out what is a Nicolas Cage movie, what kind of movie does he belong in? Well, because it is interesting, like, he has that, like, that romance, like, that, like, I would talk about the, that character as the same character as Honeymoon in Vegas, right? Or mm-hmm. uh, the movie with Bridget Fonda, I'm forgetting the name of the, the, the where he's the cop in the it lotto could ticket. To you. It could happen to you. Like, they are very, those are very basic performances. Like, not like not in a bad way, but they're very clean, Nick Cage, real everyman kind of roles, you know? And I feel like he sometimes, to me, feels like an actor who is exploring different types of 
uh, like his inspirations are very interesting. He's like, oh, I'm looking at this. And I'm like, this is Boris Karloff. So I'm going to do as Boris Karloff. Or like he's talked about this idea of like, I'm embodying this like uh, kabuki. I'm doing like a Western operatic. Like, and I think what we're seeing in this later half of his career and you see elements of it in the other ones, whether it's Kiss of the Vampire or like even Raising Arizona, like it is, it feels like uh, old school, like um, mask work acting. It's like, mm-hmm. I am the evil person. It's a, like, and I feel like it's, I, not many actors do that. It's a, it's almost the opposite of, uh, of, was it the Meisner technique? You know, it's like, it's, he's really, it's, he's emoting in a way that is full bodied. And I think that that's where he gets a lot of people making fun of him, but it's also, a style of it's an acting choice. It's not bad acting. It's like he's doing something different. Yeah, I mean, from his earliest interviews up through dialogue in the unbearable weight of massive talent, he talks about how being influenced German expressionism was right. on him. Uh, his dad was a big, you know, his his uncle obviously is a very famous director, Francis Ford Coppola, but his dad was a big cinephile as well, and would you know uh, you know make him watch uh, Kurosawa and Fellini and and German expressionism very early on in his life, and that. You know, clearly stuck with him, and you, you see it all over. Once you're looking for it, you see it all over his performances. Like, I mean, Face Off is such an expressionistic performance. You can watch that movie with the sound off and still know everything that that his character is going through. Yes. things I think are really interesting about that Coppola Cage connection. Like, A, it's not that he's shaped by Francis Ford Coppola. It's that he and Francis Ford Coppola are shaped by the same guy, his dad, Francis Ford Coppola's older Mm -hmm. brother, which was so neat to trace it back there. But you also point out a contradiction that I guess I never really thought of. You know, I I would think of 80s Cage as like, I'm the independent young kid. I'm not going to be a Coppola. I'm changing my name to Cage. But you point out that like three of his first movies were just directed by Coppola. Like Coppola was really... Mm -hmm lifting him up, even though he was distancing himself a bit with the name change. Yeah, and I also feel like, in some ways, obviously he has an in with with Coppola, but it's kind of his last... I think he would have fit really well into the 70s Hollywood. I think he would have done just fine there um, if you'd emerged like alongside Pacino and, and, and Hoffman and so on. Um, but it's kind of his last chance to work with in that system, what's left of it, and that's basically his uncle's uncle's films at that point. Man, now I'm trying to figure out like what 70s movie we should pop him into in our imaginations. Hmm. Ooh, I could see him in The Graduate. I'd rather have him in The Graduate than Dustin Hoffman. I mean, <laughs> it'd be very interesting to see like that character. Like he had, he has that kind of conflicted everyman. Uh, like you know that the world is kind of taking him over. Like you could see him playing like the Mrs. against Mrs. Robinson. Like that the character he is in Moonstruck, the overwhelmed. Like he he can get overwhelmed really interestingly, you know. And I think that that's like a really comedically, he's got such a great sensibility. I think he did, and you can find it on YouTube. Is this like pilot called The Best of Times, which was never picked up to series, but it was Nick Cage, Michael Keaton, Crispin Glover. And like Jackie Mason, you know, and it was uh, directed by Don Mishner, uh, who I think directed a lot of Academy Awards, uh, you know, uh, those bigger shows. But it was a it was like a, a very like like a single cam, but broad sitcom. It was like uh, the life of teenagers. It was, a you know, it just an interesting like he had like his career is really interesting. Like he really goes between comedy and romance and action. And then really like, I mean, 
I would call it like psychedelic stuff too like because it's like the Mandy is a really interesting movie and like these movies that he's doing now are these you know I mean even what he's doing now I know people have just like simplified it as like the the Nick Cage meme movie but I do think it's more than that I think it's like I, I think this is an interesting choice I don't think many actors would do a, a part like this I think it, it takes somebody like Nicolas Cage to do a movie about being Nicolas Cage <laughs> yeah have you seen it yet I, I saw I have it not seen it yet I'm seeing it tomorrow yeah, I, I liked it quite a bit. I think it's 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 uh, it's funny and it's smart and it's um, in some ways it's kind of adaptation light and uh, a bit, but um, but in a way that I think serves uh, works really well as a buddy comedy. And it's it's a real performance too. He's actually turns Nick Cage into a character with vulnerabilities and 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 his own kind of uh, um, you know uh, uh, you know thwarted desires and 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 hopes um, in a way that dubbed you know in some ways overlaps with his biography and sometimes doesn't uh, as well it's 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 quite clever but yeah the best of times is interesting because if you well if you want to see young Nicolas Cage dance to nine to five that's the the thing to watch and it is on YouTube but he mostly kind of plays like this Stallone like you know, big, handsome galoot. And you can, he's good at it in a way you can see him kind of getting typecast in that. If you, if he'd gone a slightly different route earlier in his career, uh, which would, you know, there's, there's a lot of sliding doors moments in Nicholas Cage's career. And, and that's one of them. Yeah. You know, I was talking to you before we started recording here and we were talking about the idea of there are these like landmark Nick Cage movies. And then there are these movies that kind of fall into the background that are actually really interesting. And they have, things that you might have seen on a clip that people passed around. But is there a movie out there that people are like, oh, I'm a Nick Cage fan, but they probably haven't seen this one and they should? So the one, I got a chance to show a couple of movies the night my book came out at the Music Box here in Chicago, which is a great theater. Um, and I immediately thought of Matchstick Man because I wanted something that was a little less seen that I mm. think is both a really good movie and a really good and kind of exemplary in some ways, Nicolas Cage oh, performance. It's I'll just, say uh, it. I'm a Nick Cage fan and I've never seen Matchstick Man. <laughs> it, by the way, t- to have the two of them together, Nick Cage and Sam Rockwell in this movie, it's a very like, if you're a fan of either one of them, it's a cool pairing, the two of them together. I mean, Rockwell's really fun in it too. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's a, for those who don't know, it's, it's like a, it's a twisty little con man movie, um, a little in the, insofar as a Ridley Scott movie can be little. Right. Uh, but it's uh, set in L.A. and Cage plays a veteran con artist, as his character keeps insisting, um, who has some sort of OCD Tourette's uh, that can, he can turn off to do the job, but kind of, you know, interferes with his ability to have much of a life outside of the job. And, you know, there's a lot of, you know, it's, you know, people talk about performances having ticks and, and, and this, you know, this is literally <laughs> a performance with ticks. Um, but it is also, you know, I, I feel like there's a lot, he never really loses the humanity of the character as well, that there's a lot going on beyond the gestures. And you mentioned before you alluded to, you know, um, perhaps seen clips in it in one of the videos of like Nicolas Cage freakout compilations, which, which uh, you know, kind of thing that kind of helped keep Nicolas Cage's name in the conversation, but also perhaps distorted what he does. Uh, there's, a, there's a very good freakout in this movie in a pharmacy, um, but it's kind of in a way, you know, with the con- within context, it's otherwise a person who's just 
fighting to keep control and his, who's otherwise a very controlled um, person who's very careful with his actions. Uh, and this is the moment where he loses it. So it kind of builds to that. So out of context, it looks much differently uh, than it does within the film. But yeah, it's it's what I definitely would seek out. It, it got overlooked at the time. And I think, I think it's a really, um, it's a fun movie. Um, and you know, was actually, you know, one of the a top tier cage performance too. Top tier. Okay. I'm in. Yeah. You've sold me. You will like it, Amy. It's, it's a fun, it, it is one of these movies that I think at the time it comes out in 2003. It's in that little bit of a zone where I feel like maybe people were, I don't know, not into Nick Cage in that moment or, but they didn't know Sam Rockwell. Like I feel like, but Ted Griffin uh, wrote the screenplay. It's like, it got a great little lineup of people. Bruce McGill is in it. Alison Lohman. It's a really interesting movie that I remember uh, really enjoying at the time. And I feel like it's those, those little moments that you can watch. I, I do want to talk about with you both about leaving Las Vegas, because I think in many respects that movie is a quintessential like oh if he could be like do we like that performance or do we feel like i remember i love that performance i thought it was really great but do we want like is that it's a it's interesting that that's the work that he gets you know that he wins his award for right he did did win and it's so typically oscar right i I, I wonder if part of like if if any of my lingering annoyance at that film which i think is kind of unjust is just based on the oscars being so boring as to pick that one out of, even despite it being a good performance, that but that's that's separate from his acting himself. I'm I'm just declaring my bias. Yeah, but how spoiled have we got that 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 like oh how boring Nicholas Cage uh, you know dying for two <laughs> hours uh, when, when's the performance you know and I think at the nineties we're, we're we we had more to choose from in some ways. Yeah, I I wonder if like it's you know it's interesting to see him achieving some some sort of greatness and then quickly switching the channel on it. I think that that's, that's really, I think the sign of a great performer too. He never really, if you look at his career, it's like he is actively trying to do different things. Another actor might stay in that lane for a little bit more, but he doesn't seem like awards recognition is really what he wants more than just working and being challenged himself as an actor. Yeah. I mean, I really like that performance too. I mean, I think if you, if you look at the, bare bones of the plot of that movie it is you know it has all kinds of, of questionable qualities to it but i think shu elizabeth shu who co-stars with him and yeah. cage are, are so good at you know just playing the emotions and the fragility of these characters like i was um it's not a film i, I go to a lot i i was um live tweeting a airing of the the movie Bad Lieutenant Porter Call New Orleans on Pluto television last night, which was really fun to do. I like that. That's another good overlooked uh, movie. Yeah, oh my gosh. Performance. Yeah. Uh, but I, it, this was on right before it, and I I, I had to turn it off. I, I <laughs> it was, It's, you know, watch, you know, the intensity of the ending of that movie, or the whole movie, but especially the ending of that movie. Actually, I find it kind of hard to watch. And frankly, after spending so much time in, you know, thinking about Nicolas Cage, watching him die is a little tough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, spo- spoiler for leaving Las Vegas. <laughs> no, I believe that. But related to Bad Lieutenant 2, that feels like one of those films that, to me, stands out as something kind of like rerouting his direction a little bit. You know, that because at that moment, it's funny that when I think of Nicolas Cage in the weeds, I don't so much think of his VOD stretch, probably because I was a critic at that time and I was watching most of them anyway. Um I think about his weed stretch as the one where he was doing really big movies that I didn't pay attention to at all, like World Trade Center, you know, like, he, like I think Bad yeah. Lieutenant kind of Weatherman. changes that direction. 
actually, weirdly, um, Wind Talkers, another one from that period, is one of the first movie reviews I ever wrote for school. And it had taught me like a weird lesson because I I made fun of Nicolas Cage in that review in a way that I wouldn't do anymore. I called him, I said he looked like a piece of boiled pork. And I've always <laughs> felt bad about that. Like it, nobody even read that review. It wasn't even published. It was just like me learning how to write. But like I went after his face because I thought he just kind of carried himself like so. I feel like there's this one version of Cage that I really actually just don't like. Kind of like lumpen, quiet, sullen Cage that pops up every so often that he did, I think, in Wind Talkers, And I feel like he does in Left Behind that I just mm-hmm. I, that's the one Cage oh, I can't wow. tolerate. <laughs> I, I remember, well, there's nothing, like, to, nothing, nothing you can tolerate in Left Behind. <laughs> no, I was so disappointed by Left Behind. I was like, oh, this one's going to be wacky. And then it was Lumpen Cage. And I was like, no. I really wanted Lord of War to be a movie that had a little bit more. Like, I felt like it was like it had a lot of promise of the premise a little bit there. Uh, and it just, uh, it was interesting. I don't think it was as good as I wanted it to be. Uh, maybe that was the way it was cut together, but I felt like I was going to watch another, uh, like gross point blank or something like that, you know, and it just, it just doesn't really, uh, it just, it, it, it's fine. I think that, like, I think honestly, there's always something interesting to watch with Nick Cage, why I feel like that's what's interesting. But in your mind, Keith, like what is the worst, the worst cage performance? So, or the worst movie? How about the worst movie he's in and the worst performance? Because I think there may be two different things, right? There are two different things. Um, I think Left Behind is awfully close to being the worst film that he's right. in, and it, it is. You know, it's it's in the more early than Season view. of the Witch. Yeah, that's yeah. that's not great either. Um, <laughs> but I think it is yeah. worse. Uh, yeah, it's a worse it's a worse movie. Uh, I mean, I think the only time you can really point to him as seeming a little checked out is like those early VOD years in the same year as, um, as left behind is a movie called rage, which is, mm-hmm. I think his worst performance and maybe his, maybe a worse film than left behind. It's, it's just like a by the book, you know, mob revenge movie set in mobile, Alabama. Uh, obviously it was, it was a, it was affordable to film there and it's just, it's just dull. I mean, and, and what he's doing in it is, is not that great. I feel like of the films that people have actually seen, I think he's going for something for really small and quiet in the movie Gone in 60 Seconds, perhaps like to counter the rest of the movie. Uh, but I think the you know the movie itself is such a mess, and I don't think the performance uh, really works in that one either. It did really surprise me, though, to hear in your book that Left Behind was one of his most popular hits at the time, or at least one of his most widely seen. Because it's yeah, a, a I mean, Christian film. I mean, that's yeah. that's why. I mean, I know. you know, I feel like those are like you can probably make that case that, uh, you know, uh, Kirk Cameron is one of the most well, successful totally. filmmakers. Yeah. But that makes me wonder if there's like, you know, kids out there whose parents won't let them see a lot of movies who this is their only Nicolas Cage is left behind Nicolas <laughs> Cage. And how sad is that? Yeah. Well, it's a period. I mean, just for virtue of playing theaters, it's going to be one of his most popular films from that era because so many of them just didn't. Also that. Also that. But anyway, Keith, I feel like as we're deciding which Nicolas Cage film to do, there's kind of a couple that to me really pop as sort of like pivot points in his career that I kind of want to throw mm-hmm. at you and see like which ones we should consider strongly, which ones they're good, but we can maybe put it down. Okay. Um, 
I'm drawn to Moonstruck, you know, as as Love, Lauren Cage. We already did Raising Arizona, which I just adore. But I, I'm, I'm interested in Moonstruck. I'm drawn to Vampire's Kiss as like the mm-hmm. first weird, like capital letters, all weird, a million E's on the page, weird cage where he's like eating cockroaches. You know, that um, movie is an interesting film because we did that on How Did This Get Made. It's not, it's neither as bad nor as um, crazy as you think, because the cockroach scene really gets a lot of play. But it is like it, another performance of a man being driven into madness. Like he thinks he's becoming a vampire. And it's, and it almost feels more like um, a, a lower tier Jim Jarmusch film or something like that. It's like, it's a weird indie. It, it, like, I was surprised at how non, like his performance is interesting, but it, like the movie is just a bad indie. It feels like it does. It, it just feels like it's like a half baked. Oh, I think, that that very, I think that movie is very defensible, actually. I, I, I it, like it is. It it's it's oh. a little, you know, <laughs> stitched together at times, but right. um, it's really, you know, if you step back, it's really more a movie about, uh, we, you know, you know, we didn't have the term at the time, but like, it's a movie about toxic masculinity and white male yes. privilege, and yes, and it's really kind of of a piece in some ways with American Psycho in a really interesting way too. I mean, he's called that movie his laboratory, where he just tried out different experiments that he'd draw on to the rest of his career, and you can see a lot of like you know face off and a bunch of other things that that are, that are, you know are taken from those experiments in some ways. I think I think it's a really interesting movie. Uh, Moonstruck is a, you know, it's a Stone Cold classic. I, I think it's, um, you know, I think that's just a really uh, great romantic comedy and I love his performance in it. And it is kind of an X factor too, where no one else is giving that kind of fiery, you know, young, passionate performance. Um, you know, I, I, I love Cher in that movie, but, her, you know, she it is a very much a, a you know, jaded, older, you know, middle-aged person's uh, performance. Uh, you know, and I, I, the fact that, that the way they spark up against one another uh, is is really, really great. I think it makes the movie. She fought for him to do that. If you listen to the audio commentary, it's really adorable, too, because she'll talk about how a lot of other actors were proposed and she was really wanted Cage to do it, and the studio didn't. And she's like, I'd read these lines and be like, I want Nikki to do it. <laughs> just, uh, just the way she says, I want Nikki to do it. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and by the way, I just, I don't want to, because I know I was taking a task about it when we did it on How This Get Made too. I agree with you. I think Laboratory is a great, it, like, it is what an independent movie should be on some level. It's like, it's a, it's a lot of big ideas trying to be something big. I, in, in many ways, I think it's a movie that could be ripe for a remake. Uh, it mm. just needs, there was like some things in it that I feel like weren't as fully executed. I think the idea of it was better than the execution of it. But I also think that Nick Cage's performance in it is that experimentation also probably creates a little bit of that unevenness as well. It's like, it's a very... It just feels like there's a there's no keeper there to kind of put it all in line. But that but being that thing, it's it's definitely one to watch. I mean, I, I really enjoyed my experience watching it. Um, and it's funny you should bring them up together too, because Moonstruck kind of le- leads directly to Vampire's Kiss because he was really uncomfortable doing a warm room. I think he talks really fondly of the movie now, but at the time he he you know, he would talk about how he felt really uncomfortable doing like a warm romantic movie because he was the one to do like. You know, he was he was a punk actor, you know, and the right. vampire's cat, kiss, you know, is, is a is a is a him retreating in the, in the other direction. Yeah, exactly. They feel like yin and yang. Um, the other ones that would pop out of me, uh, just to throw them at you, I kind of want to do Wild at Heart, but I also want to do that. Just I really just want to do a David Lynch film. We haven't yet. Um, hmm. 
leaving Las Vegas feels like we have to throw that out there as an option. Um, also the rock, because I'm interested in this switch that we're talking about from like him going from a movie actor to a movie star. And I think the last one I would throw out is adaptation because of course I am a Kaufman nut mm-hmm. and that film is brilliant. Okay. So wild at heart, it's weird. He used to be really top of the list for David Lynch for me. And I really like the film but I feel like it's maybe it's it's climbed down the ladder a little bit as other films have climbed up. Like I really didn't care for Lost Highway the first time I saw it for some reason, and now it's one of my favorites. Um, I also feel like I really love Cage in that movie. It's not necessarily the most interesting Cage performance because he is he's channeling Elvis. I mean, he's he's very explicit about that. that's what he wanted to do as an experiment, basically to do Elvis. And I think Dern is the one who really gives the, the truly remarkable performance. In that movie, Leaving Las Vegas, I you know it's it's just such a tough set. You know, if you want to have fun with the podcast, maybe Leaving Las Vegas because it's going to be a tough a tough you know to make that a fun episode. I think the the Rock is really interesting because that's a film that I really resisted when it came out because I, I just you know the editing style the the, the whole Michael Bayness of it was so kind of shocking and new and as he's still not my favorite and. But I feel like it almost looks, you know, stately and conservative compared to where action films went after that, too. Uh, but Adaptation, I mean, you can talk about that movie for, for you know, hours. I, we're actually going to do it on an episode of our podcast, The Next Picture Show, coming up pretty soon, too. But, but like, it's two great Nicolas Cage performances, right? You get Charlie Kaufman and Donald yeah. Kaufman. And kind of circling back to what we were talking about, like, I love the Donald Kaufman performance, too, because he's just, he's just, a, he's just a big dummy, you know, um, and that's part of the point of the character. But toward the end, when he delivers his, his, you know, monologue, it's like, wow, this is, I really feel for this character who's just been presented as, as a broad comic goofball the whole time. And, you know, there's, I think in the film, it's partly about, you know, the film is so largely about how the screenplay machinery work, you know, there's, there's screenplay traditions because they work, you know, even if you fight against them, like, you know, they still do. And I, I think you know, it's, it's part of the power of the writing and part of the power of the acting is like, you know, this is, I, you know, in that moment, you really feel for Donald Kaufman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think you might've sold me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I agree. Uh, there's so many great ones to pick from. And I think, you know, it will be very interesting to see where he goes from here. I, you know, you've you've kind of separated him in your book. And if you are a fan of Nicolas Cage or just want to, like, go a little bit deeper, the book is such a great and fun read. And I would say that we're in a really interesting time with him right now. And I, I would I'd be really curious to see the next two or three years because I feel like he's in a zone where people want him to come back. I want to see what the result of this movie, the, uh, the Being Nick Cage movie, is going to do in the pop culture sense of him. Uh, I'd be interested to see if this guy comes into a Marvel movie at a certain point, you know, because he would be somebody that I would be very interested in, in like doing something in that world, like a very unpredictable type of a character that I think actually could be a great villain in a Marvel film. I mean, we already know he's in Spider-Man, uh, but like the idea of, of, of seeing him, you know, kind of sink his teeth into a big budget film would be fun again, too. I, I would like to see that. You know, I think we're seeing these great smaller performances like with Pig. And, you know, it still feels like he's making small movies. I would like to see him in a, in a nice big one. And Pig, I, w- I was so happy when that movie came out because like, oh, I, I feel like my book is justified. Like, it's such a mm-hmm. great performance and such a great, great film. And I kind of hope, 
you know, this feels like the beginning of a new chapter. Not, not that I'm going to write another book, but uh, it feels like, you know, unbearable weight of massive talent might be a chance to like kind of put your arms around, you know, embrace the joke, put your arms around the whole, all the memes, the, you know, you know, the, the sometimes ironic, sometimes not fandom and just kind of move on, you know, uh, well, we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I'll keep watching crossed. no matter what. Keith, your book is available wherever you can get books, but I would say, as always, uh, and I think it helps everybody, uh, go to your local bookstore. Get get it from your local bookstore. Try it, you know, you can order it online from local bookstores. There's uh, your podcast, The Next Picture Show, uh, a weekly podcast. You can get it wherever podcasts are heard. Uh, but do you have any other uh, events coming out around uh, the Nick Cage book? Uh, not directly yet. I hope to do some, I'd love to do some more screenings because the ones we've done have been really, have been really fun. But I mean, you can follow, I, I, you know, I post whatever I do on Twitter at KFIPS3000. And you can, you can find my writing at places like GQ, The Ringer, Vulture, TV Guide. And I do a newsletter, newsletter via Substack with my longtime uh, uh, writing partner, uh, Scott Tobias, called The Reveal. It's thereveal.substack.com. We do reviews and essays and, you know, stuff that doesn't necessarily fit for other publications, but we enjoy doing. So I like, I like that one. That's, that's, a, that's a fun project. It's very fun. I look forward to it every week. Yeah, you are a great writer. I'm so excited that you tackled uh, Nick Cage. But now I'll ask you, has anyone from his camp even reached out to you about uh, about the book? Uh, have you gotten any any internal feedback at all? Not, no. I got a phone call from a Las Vegas number that, that, that made my heart skip, but I think it was just spam. Um, I had a dream that I met him and that he expressed general approval of the book, but said he would never read it. And like, that's perfect. That's exactly, that's the outcome <laughs> I'm looking for here. Keith, it's been so great. We will follow you. We will subscribe. We will buy the book. Uh, it's such a, uh, it's such a great one. Um, thank you for sitting down and talking cage with us. Thanks so much. Anytime. It was a pleasure to be here. Oh, Paul, that was such a pleasure. That was such a pleasure. I love Keith's brain. I'm so glad he wrote this book. It's a good I know. for actor books, man. Between this one and the Papadamus one on Keanu that's coming out, excellent timing. Well, you know what I think is interesting is there's so much negative or uh, making fun of culture of Nick Cage. And like we talked about it briefly in the interview, like the idea that here are memes, here are, you know, pillowcases, here are, you know, clips all put together. And out of context, they all are... They make him look a certain way. But what I love about that book is it really treats him like the actor that he is. And whether or not it always works, it's always fascinating. And um, and I and I applaud any actor that continues to challenge themselves. And there's a there's a version of Nick Cage that could have taken the big money gigs or the VOD gigs. And I still think like he, the, it, from, that did that did take the well yeah kids, but yeah. i also think that like w with the exception of like like you said these like two films that really felt like the money ones like he is trying to work on things that he's interested in like the chuck e cheese movie i think he's like oh i want to do this i not like it's the only thing being afforded to me like there's a difference in some of the people who are big vod people right now it's like they just seem like shit movies they're just run-of-the-mill action movies he's not doing that he's doing for the most part interesting like they they uh, well look, they i mean probably, if, there's, yeah. if there's anything his career shows it's that debt is bad for the human soul for everybody it's bad <laughs> for people getting out of college it is bad for people with medical debt and it is bad for actors at at vulnerable points in their career well there you go i think that that is true and i guess maybe you know this idea of when you are in a rut you know and you are stuck you know it forces you to do interesting things and i feel like you've walked us into 
very organically what I think we should cover for our next movie. Like, I mean, I feel like talking about this, like adaptation in a way kind of sums up this part of his career. I mean, that's my vote would be for adaptation because I think it is this perfect middle ground of all the things that we love about Nick Cage. It's vulnerable. It's big. It's uh, very interesting acting choices. And I think it also talks about the creative process in a way from one of your favorite, I know, uh, writers, Charlie Kaufman. So I feel like there are, you know, there's something about that that makes it more exciting to me than Moonstruck, uh, which would be like, oh, it'd be interesting to see where he goes. But I would like to see, like, I think people find that to be his defining film. You know what? Okay. Yeah, I know I came in here a little hot. I wasn't quite sure what I wanted. Um, I do want to do adaptation. I have been sold by this conversation. And just because I'm also thinking like, I haven't seen adaptation since I saw Anomalisa or I'm thinking of ending things. I My two Kaufman films that I love, I haven't seen it uh, definitely since I saw Everything Everywhere All at Once. Another crazy movie about like fractitious personalities. I want to. Okay. I want to. I want to go back and look at kind of a ground zero for this type of ambitious filmmaking of this generation. And I want to do it with Nicolas Cage. So let's do it. Let's do adaptation. I'm hungry. Let's take a listen to the trailer. She hates me. She's disappointed. I could see it in her eyes when we met. I've got to stop sweating. Oh, she looked at my hairline. She thinks I'm bald. She's thinking I would never in a million years sleep with this guy. We think you're great. Oh, thanks. Wow, that's that's nice to hear. And this is available wherever you get your movies. Um, I will also recommend that if you uh, don't want to get your movies from a pay site, go visit Hoopla, which is your local library. They have amazing selections of films, and this will definitely be in there. And Amy, I suggest that you check out Matchstick Men when you have a chance. I will. I will check out Matchstick Men. I will. Let's do it. I mean... Top tier, okay, you got me. You got it, me. It, but to tier. me, it's I, I love Sam Rockwell. It, like, there's no, there's no downside to that movie. Ridley Scott, Sam Rockwell, Bruce McGill, and Nick Cage, con men. I'm in. Maybe we should be in our own heist movie. What do you think? Let's do it. I don't know what that let's exactly means, but let's do it. I don't know. Well, let's just do a heist. Let's just do an off-world right. heist. We no should be off air and let's talk do about it this. Secret. Then. Okay, uh, we'll do that. See you in a couple of days for adaptation. 